Grace and Peace Church, it's good to be with you worshiping together on this wonderful Sunday service. That today is the last Sunday that we have on the series on Book of Romans. Past 14 weeks, Pastor Philip and Pastor Carter taught us and gave us such wonderful truth that is embedded deep within this very difficult text. And as we're wrapping up, I feel like a cleanup hitter to actually come up and finish the series. Now, for those of you who actually do not know what cleanup hitter is or are not a baseball fan, cleanup hitter, its responsibility is to bring home any of the runners left on base for score. Now, now I think about it. Well, Pastor Felipe and Pastor Carter always knocked it out of the park and home run. Nobody left on, on deck, so I guess this illusion doesn't really work. But you get my drift. As we're wrapping up this very important book and sermon series, I actually want us to not only just focus on the today's scripture, but also provide a little bit of wider angle lens to actually look over what we actually have been spending this whole summer on. What is the overarching theme of the book of Romans? In general, as well as the particular that we're going to actually study today on chapter 15. So, before we start, let me pray for us as we get into the scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your words that we're about to read. Lord, may your spirit just cover us and speak to us what we need to hear today. Lord, hide me behind the cross, but may your words Go forth and touch every single heart that hears this message. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Today's scripture comes from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 1 through 7. And let me read for us. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that Together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of God. You know, when I was growing up in Korea, as many of you guys know that I actually moved to the United States when I was 14, that one of my favorite TV shows to watch on TV is called A-Team. Now, I just dated myself, and some of you guys don't even know or never even heard of A-Team. But it was uh, a TV series that it just enamored me, and I just couldn't wait to actually watch week after week this brand new episode that aired way past my bedtime. Well, since it was 
it aired way past my bedtime. I actually couldn't catch it until my dad actually bought this wonderful gizmo called VHS that recorded these shows at night so that I can watch the next morning. And this show has a very simple storyline. And this simple storyline was explained by this monologue that actually came up before the each show began, just like how the Star Wars movies began. And instead of actually explaining the whole background of the, of the story, that I can just read for us, and it will explain. In 1972, the elite commando unit was sent to prison by the military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security prison to a Los Angeles underground today. Still wanted by the government, they survive as a soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you should call the A-Team. And the credit opens, and I am right there. And each episode that I watched, it was great. I was right there fighting the evil forces. It was a triumphant every time. And the characters somehow really spoke to me. Every each, every each episode that I watched, I was in it. But one thing that this drama actually did really well is to actually bring all the audience right back to that very simple story, how it began. That this is a story of elite commandos who were wronged and wrongly accused for the crimes that they did not commit. And their story is to clear their name and bring honor back. Whatever the, each episode that they are on and whatever problems that they were solving, that whenever the MP showed up to chase after a team and, and at the end of the episode, that they just jump in this, this wonderful van and they're peeling off, you are reminded once again of that very simple storyline. Hey, they're still on the run and they will one day clear their name, the A-team. Why do I actually spend this time explaining this TV show? It's because we have been studying the epistle that Paul wrote to the Church of Rome throughout this whole summer. And each week, from each chapter, we have gleaned so much of the truth, the principle that is embedded deep within the very difficult text that we had to work very hard to unearth, to learn, to absorb, to transform our mind. And each week, as we are laboring into actually learning all this, it is so easy to lose the sight of the forest from the trees. So once again, when we are reminded back to this whole storyline of Book of Romans, we have to remember that this is a letter that was written to the church of Rome. And just like any other letter, there is an overarching theme that the author is trying to convey. So let's put on the wide angle lens and dive in. What is the overarching theme of this book of Romans? The book of Romans begins with this following scripture in chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Right after the introduction is made, Paul dives directly into this scripture, saying, Therefore, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because that is the main theme of the book of Roman, that is overarching, touching every single part of the book of Roman, the gospel. Folks, book of Roman is a story of gospel. What is the gospel then? Sola gratia, sola fide, and solus Christus. Tim Keller explains the gospel that Paul is talking about like this. We are justified in God's sight by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. To address the problem in the church of Rome, that Paul is writing about the gospel, and he's spending the first 11 chapters. Back then, these letters don't have chapters, so the first, more than first half of this letter is spent explaining what this gospel is. Is that we are justified in God's sight by His grace alone, through our faith alone that we have, and because of what Christ has done for us. First five chapters, that Paul actually lays it all out for us. And then until chapter 11, he is trying to explain how this gospel is impacting our lives. And once fully understood, once this gospel actually becomes a part of our lives, once you are fully aware of the grace that is given unto us, then Paul is saying the result of that is a life of love. And that is what Paul is writing for the rest of the letter. Once you fully embrace this gospel, this grace, only through the faith, only because of Jesus Christ. You don't have any other viable option but to live the life of, Christ, life of love because that's the only right way that you can respond. And this living out life of love, Paul actually explains that it comes through the transformation of our relationships. And he lays out many different types of relationships uh, from chapter 11 through 16. Relationship with ourselves, relationship with other Christians, and relationship with the rest of the world, whether they are friend or foe. How you deal with them, how you actually approach them, what your attitude is towards them in this relationship is the overarching theme that Paul is trying to teach us through this epistle. Then we know that the overarching theme of Book of Romans is gospel, and Paul is trying to explain this 
and educate this and also contextualize it for us in the transformation of the, of the relationship. Then what is the ultimate goal? What is the conclusion that we actually must face? That is given in today's scripture. Chapter 15, verse 5 through 6. And it says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that through you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that for us again in that may the God grant you to live in such harmony with one another that through you may with one voice glorify God. So that is the overarching theme of the book of Romans and the ultimate goal that the Paul is trying to talk about is through gospel and through transformation of the relationship that it is to bring God the glory together with one voice. Glory to God. Well, then how are we to actually bring glory to God? This is where we are actually focusing more in particular and narrower lens and get back into today's scripture in chapter 15. Because Paul, just like my professor in New Testament history, is using the example of Jesus Christ. Many of you guys know the story of my New Testament professor that he told the class, whenever you actually have a question that you don't know the answer to, write down Jesus Christ in my class and you'll probably be right 90% of the time. Well, it worked back then and it works in our everyday lives. And, and the answer here is also Jesus Christ because Paul is bringing the example of Christ to explain about bringing glory to God. And the first, the example that he's bringing is how can we be the living sacrifice for all? Because last week in chapter 14 that we were given examples of many new relationships through the loving life of love between the weak and the strong among brothers. The Christians within the church of Rome to create a unity within our church. Now, folks, that was an amazing sermon that we actually gleaned so much. How to actually be a, a united to our brothers. But here, in chapter 15, Paul expands the parameters of the relationship outside of a church towards the rest of the world by using a very specific word, neighbor. Verse 1, it says that we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. To build him up. Throughout the book of Romans that the Paul was using the, the word brothers to describe our brothers who are within our church, our congregation members, the ones who actually share our faith, that there might be a strong or weak 
ones in faith among our brothers? And how can we actually create unity within that? But Paul is actually pivoting out of that that predicament and that parameter, and he's introducing that not only are we to live with, you know, with unity among our brothers, but we are to create a harmony with those outside of our church. And he brings that into our focus by using the word neighbor. And whenever we actually think about the, the word neighbor, Automatically, many of us actually go to Luke chapter 10, the illustration that Jesus Christ gave as a good Samaritan. Who is our neighbor? In Jesus' illustration that the good Samaritan who took care of the Jewish traveler was able to cross the ethnic, the socioeconomic, the political and the cultural barrier in order to be a good neighbor because he thought of the good of the Jewish traveler first. And I believe that that's the key. That even in the verses that we see, that each of us please his neighbor for his good to build them up, build him up. You know, being a good neighbor, it's not easy. Because it doesn't come naturally to us. Many of times that we are actually so self-absorbed and self-focused that even when we are called to help those who are outside, those who actually need help, that we actually go and approach in a way that glorifies us, that is easy for us. It is not easy to think of them first, but that is exactly what Paul is trying to bring into focus, that to those who are outside, you must think of their good and build them up first. So here in text, We are called, but not only called, but we are obligated to actually go and help the failings of the weak. Paul uses a very strong word to actually charge all of us that not only are we to do it, but we are are obligated, we are required. Paul is calling all of us for a mission to actually go and reach outside of our church walls. Who are these neighbors that we must reach out to? Knowing the author, this call for mission should not surprise us because Paul was the most prolific writer for New Testament and he was one of the greatest theologians in that time. But also, he was one of the biggest and the best missionary and evangelist. And it is very natural for him to actually bring this attention to us that we are to go and reach those who are outside. Because we are charged, we are obligated, we are called to do that. And how does he bring that charge? 
through the example of Jesus Christ. He brings in the, 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 the illustration in verse 3, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written. For Christ did not please himself, which is ref- refers back to the Mark chapter 10, verse 4, that for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Here, Paul is bringing in the Jesus attachment. Is that when we are obligated to actually reach out to those who are outside, we need to do it because Jesus did it. We need to do it because we are called to do it. We are called to live the living sacrifice. Because Jesus showed us that it is not to please ourselves, but to build others up for their own good. When we are charged to bring our lives as a living sacrifice, that we are called to reach out for those who are weak, who might have failings, and yet we are to build them up. Well, Paul also gave a little condition when he actually gave that charge. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Why did Paul actually say that? We who are strong. Here, he's actually applying to two things. First, the ones who are strong are the strong who actually understands the gospel of Christ, the ones who actually understands the grace, the ones who actually are forgiven first. And with the transformation of our relationship within ourselves and within our church, that the ones who are called can go out. But also, he's pointing back to chapter 14, where he's talking about those who are weak in faith. Because not everyone in our church are in the same place. Same now, same back then. Those who actually came into the faith recently, those who actually did not have the walk, those who actually are still baby Christians, perhaps weak in our faith. Those who are weak are called to grow in church. How is that possible? Paul actually goes on and giving us the instruction, the scripture. For whatever was written, verse 4, in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. Folks, whatever written in the former days is written for our instructions, meaning that we are to be instructed to grow by the scripture. And he actually gives here the two wings of the scripture that you actually have to pay attention to so that we might have hope. What is hope? Hope can be defined as a joyful persistence in life. Because when you, one is going through a difficult times, one, when one is feeling weak, not as strong, that you actually have to have a hope to actually endure through or persist through the difficult times, and not only just persist, but also joyously persist through that difficult time, hope is needed. And in order to create, 
in order to create that hope within. Paul is saying that you need the endurance as well as the encouragement of the Scripture. Because the endurance of the Scripture is calling us to a hard work and the discipline to follow its commands. Ones who actually are under grace are not just free to live however we live, however we want to live. Pastor Felipe and Pastor Carter actually made it very clear that our freedom actually belongs within the boundary that is given, not to limit us, but to actually free us even further and safeguard us. There I say that the, the freedom for Christians are our freedom to choose God and abide in His commands with all of our hearts. So when the Scripture is giving us these commands to follow, to actually work through and, and create this discipline, that is the endurance of the Scripture. But not only that, you need endurance as well as the encouragement of the Scripture. The encouragement of the Scripture comes from the incredible and precise promise to bring joy, to endure. Because when you do not have this promise, when you do not have something to look forward to, you cannot have joy. You cannot have joy as you are walking through that difficult times. And Paul, being the, the theologian himself, is very sure to attach this right at the hill of the verse 3 when he quotes Psalm 69, verse 9. Folks, when we are brought into this grace, that we are actually given everything that we needed to actually grow in the church, to be strong, that we may bear the fault of our neighbors and however weak they are. And Paul is now moving into asking the Church of Rome to seek harmony. He explained in, in chapter 14 that the, 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 the unity among the believers, how to achieve it, not to judge one another, to embrace and to truly have a faith that actually will instruct you in whatever decision that you actually need to make to hold strong, not only for yourself, but also for your brother. But he is also saying that you actually need to create harmony with your neighbors, which is not achieved through hard work or of your goodness. In following verse, verse 5, when Paul is saying that may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such a harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is almost like a prayer. He's saying that, hey, you know what? Let's pray together that God actually will bring to us, grant us this harmony, this life in such a harmony that we can glorify God together in one voice. But even though it sounds like it's a supplication, it's not just a supplication that we are to just lift it up. We are actually called into action, right? In verse 1 and 2, that we are to actually bear 
the default of the week of the outside, and we are also charged to actually grow in the instruction that is given for, with, with an endurance and an encouragement for the hope that we actually can live in a harmony to actually glorify God's God together in one voice. What Paul is saying is that seek harmony, but that is not the ultimate goal. Folks, the chief goal of the harmony and unity is not in itself to achieve a utopia or lack of discord. The ultimate goal of the unity, ultimate goal of the harmony is a worship, a praise and prayer to God together that will glorify Him. We cannot get there if we solely achieve just a unity or lack of discord. Because given that we follow the instructions given through the scriptures, that we're not called to compromise to fit one another, but we are to call, we're called to transform by renewing of our mind that we have renewed hope in Jesus Christ that in turn, that we are to be embraced by the presence of God. Because when we're talking about one voice here, that it is talking about our worship together. Folks, yes, we are to live in harmony with our neighbors. We are to actually bear the burden of the fault of the weak. But we are not called to actually create this fake harmony or this fake unity by just compromising what we actually shouldn't be in order to accommodate them. When Paul is charging us to actually do good, to please our neighbor for their own good, it is not to, for them to actually just live a sinful life. Paul is never acknowledging that we should actually just follow their ways. He's saying that, no, you should not. Do not be conformed to the world, but transform your minds so that together that you can transform their minds, that the harmony that we actually need to achieve is so that we can be embraced together in one voice to worship God together. It is our charge to actually bring the truth to them in most loving and most enduring and encouraging way possible so that they may find their way back. Here it says that do this live in such a harmony and in accord with Christ Jesus. Because this hard charge to be in unity, not uniformity, to live in harmony, not conformity, all of this for the glory and for the beauty of Christ is a difficult. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I was a part of a New Jersey state chorus. And for someone who just came to the States, who actually couldn't speak the language too well, being in a musical scene was an, a way for me to, you know, it was an outlet for my creativity and to be in a group. And however beautiful and amazing a solo piece could have been, when I'm in the midst of the harmony of the choir coming together, bringing different parts, all different sounds, and yet fitting together 
in one song, one focus. It is true beauty. The harmony cannot be created with a uniformity, but also harmony must follow a same goal, same focus. You cannot sing in all these different tunes and different keys and different beats. There are given sets of instructions of old that we can follow, that we can share, that we can teach. Not to beat over and to judge them, to actually say that we are better than you. No, to actually so that for their own good, that they may learn this beautiful choral piece that we can sing together for his glory. The harmony brings glory to God together. All of this, all of this brings to a conclusion in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Folks, this is the ultimate conclusion for all of Book of Romans. That therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is a call to action clearly given to church. This is a call to action for the missional charge. Asking God, asking church, not to just open its doors, but to actually send us out into the world to welcome others in. This is a call to action for discipleship within our church, for the weak to be instructed that the scripture of the endurance and encouragement will bring hopes and bring harmony together. This is a call to action for corporate worship to bring one voice that glorify God. That is not just my voice, but ours to please him. For the glory of God, invite one another another as Christ has welcomed you. This is called for the ultimate understanding of our justification and our sanctification that through his redemptive sacrifice, Jesus welcomed us in first. In another word, Christ did it first. Now you should follow. Christ did it first. So you should follow. Church, at the end of the day, everything comes down to Jesus Christ once again. When we are calling ourselves Christians, you know that means that we are the follower of Christ, following his way of loving, his way of salvation, and his way for the glory of God. And we all know how Christ loved us by sacrificing himself for us while we're still sinners. He didn't wait until we came into his house. He didn't wait for us to all clean our acts and 
get things together. No, he actually came and welcomed us while we're still out there. The strong who actually bore the fault of the weak for the goodness of the weak. Christ did that for us first and foremost. And because of that, now we are invited into the house of God for the family of Christ to share in this joy together of knowing Him and getting closer to Him. Ultimately, we are also called to live out as Christ has. Because without that, there is no answer for this divided world. Church, I started this sermon with an illustration from my childhood. Perhaps I should wrap up um, this sermon with an illustration from my life that happened just recently. Many of you guys know that our Crossbridge pastors were on a pastor's retreat this past week um, to plan out for the, the rest of the year and beyond and to pray together and to fellowship. Well, it was a great time that we actually got to spend together and so appreciative. But one night when we actually fellowshiping together, we ended up sitting outside of our hotel um, near this little campfire with a bunch of chairs and we ended up uh, with our group uh, mixed in with uh, some of the groups from from other places that we actually didn't know and me and Pastor Carter actually ended up sitting together uh, across from a couple uh, who actually uh, of ranchers from Nebraska being friendly <laughs> pastors that we are we ended up striking a conversation and, and we introduced ourselves as a pastor, who are on a retreat uh, together. And self-identifying as non-believers, not religious, but just very sensible, down-to-earth, you know, ranchers from Nebraska, they just jumped on that, that statement saying that we're pastors and by asking if we are, which side we are on, whether we are on Republican or Democratic, uh, Democrats. And Pastor Carter, with his, all his wisdom, actually you know, quickly said that we're independent. And then the conversation actually was able to continue. As the night moved on, that the couple uh, shared with us some of the difficulties that they actually had, they actually see out in the world with all the turmoils and, and disagreement and the separation that they actually felt, differing ideas, coming, just not being able to come in together. It wasn't just a one complain after another or just trying to actually win an argument, but it was a genuine concern seeking for some solution, for some answer. When they asked us, what do you think is a way to go about? We actually were able to share a little bit of what we've been talking about here in, in this series on Book of Romans. That for us, only solution that we see is through church. Because only through the gospel and only through the grace that we have experienced and only because we know ourselves that we are the sinners who are forgiven by Christ first, that we have this overarching commonality, a love 
for Jesus Christ together that can bring these different people to a table. Because we all sit under the umbrella, under the cross of Jesus Christ, that even though we might differ from one another, we can still create harmony together. And in a world where you cannot go more than a few seconds you know, before you get into argument, arguing one side or the other on so many different issues from politics to pandemic to whatever else it is. One thing was for sure that we get to call each other brothers and sisters, especially here at Crossbridge where diversity is so celebrated that because of our love for Christ, we're in this together. I think that actually have moved their hearts because a group, a couple that actually started the night identifying themselves as non-believers and non-religious as they are getting up to go back to their hotel room came to us and said, Pastor, pray for us. Pray for us. And that is a true illustration of bringing together to create the harmony, welcoming one another for the glory of God. The way of Christ, the way that we are called to follow, it's not easy because it requires selflessness, it requires patience, it requires endurance. But also we are given an encouragement and hope in our faith to see because we are called as a strong to bear the fault of the weak. We follow the way of Christ, the selfless, the loving. So church, as you, we are wrapping up this series in Romans, are you in? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful series that we get to stay on the book of Romans from chapter 1 to chapter 16, the overarching theme of gospel that Jesus Christ, through his redemptive sacrifice, that we were given the grace and our faith and our salvation. Lord, Father God, as we're wrapping up, Help us to keep our eyes focused on the cross. Because as, the, as the Paul said, then may we welcome one another because Christ has welcomed us first. Let us always forget that very truth that we were loved first and foremost while we're still sinners. Help us to open our doors to those who are desperate in need of this truth and lead us so that we may go out of this, this place to actually reach our neighbors. Lord, teach us so that we may bring the endurance and encouragement to bring the harmony, not the uniformity, 
together so that we may sing in one voice for your glory. Above it all, bring us a new song to give you thanks for what you have done. Thank you so much for who you are and who you call us to be. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.